again. I want to welcome those of you here in the West Auditorium. I also want to welcome those of you in the East Auditorium. It's great to be here and worship with you. And the time has come, friends. You may remember that Pastor Wayne had an agreement with the senior pastor of First Christian Church in Clinton that if the Cubs won the World Series, I don't know if you heard, but they did, um, and that he had, yeah, okay, that he had to wear a Cubs jersey on the platform. And here's the thing, he reached out to the community and said, hey, I don't have any Cubs uniforms for some reason. And um, you guys showed up in a major way. So not only do we get one uniform, we get four uniforms. So I'd like for you to help me welcome the 2016 Chicago Cubs championship model, Pastor Wayne Kent. Let's give him a hand, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, you look good, you look great. You know, you look really nice in blue. Have you considered changing sides? No. Okay, no, I'm just checking. No. All right. I'm cards. I bleed cards. Okay, well, you know, I think this is a 2009 dark blue. This is uh, 2009 dark blue version. You look really nice in that color. Oh, gee, thank you. We'll, it we'll, matches my eyes. Yeah, okay, sure. We'll go, we'll go with that. <laughs> what a look. No, no I, I don't. I'm good. That was... That was too close. Okay. Sorry. All right. But so, we, we, have, we, we did get a few others. That's great. Yeah, let's see, what, let's see what else you got. Okay. Oh, here we go. All right. So the 2010, 2010 Steel Gray. Away jersey. Yes, it's looking good. You look, yeah, again. Yeah, whoo. You spent Come on, really good I've to, gone a long way to make this happen, guys. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. This so is 2010. 2010 away jersey, I believe. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yep. All right. What else you got? Well. well okay. Oh, come on. Seriously? The 2011 Championship Cards! Hey, I, I don't remember that being part of the agreement. Well, you gotta, you gotta go to the core of who you are. Just saying, just saying. The deal was I had to wear a Cubs uniform or a Cubs jersey. Well, let's get down to why we actually came oh, okay. here. What do you, what's, right. Let's see what's under that. I believe it's a 2016 World Champion Chicago Cub uniform. There yes, there it is, go. ladies and gentlemen. Woo! Oh, let's spin. Let's see it. Oh, look at that! That's awesome. All right. All right. There you have it. Oh, you're all driving me nuts. <laughs> All right, congratulations. Congrats to the Cubbies, and uh, welcome to everybody here today to First Christian Church, both here in the West Auditorium and those in the East Auditorium. I'm very sorry for all of the way we just went carried on, but we're very, particularly if you're a guest with us, I'm very sorry. 
My name is Wayne, and I'm part of the pastoral team here. <laughs> and, uh, whew, all right, done, complete. <laughs> I'm worried how that's going to look on the internet, but there you go. So we're going to spend some time looking at Scripture today. And by the way, congratulations to all you Cubbies fans. You've waited long and hard, and you've been truly spiritual people of great patience, and it's paid off. <laughs> all right, moving on, all right? So we're going to look at John chapter 17 today. John chapter 17 is where we're going to look, and I grab, invite you to... We're going to throw all the, all the Scriptures up on the screens today, so uh, maybe that would be helpful for you to know as well, but... We're pulling our passages of Scripture today from John chapter 17. And uh, again, for those who are guests that are with us, I'm very glad that you're here. My name is Wayne, and I am part of the pastoral team. And uh, we like to have fun around here, but we also like to have moments where we say, okay, what does God say in the midst of doing life, in the midst of the moments when we're very glad and happy, and also in the moments where we've got challenges in front of us. And so we're going to have a little look at that today. I want to start by inviting you to take a look at this photo and see if it begins to get you wondering about what's for lunch. Here's a, a picture of some donuts. Isn't that lovely? Okay, and you're asking, why are we showing donuts in church? Well, um, apparently that's because what I've learned in just the last couple of weeks, that it's a buyer's market regarding donut sales at present. And you go, why is that? Well, Dunkin' Donuts, for example, as one of the leading makers and sellers of donuts, announced just in late October that their sales for 20, 2016 were off significantly. And their shareholders are asking what's going on with that. And the CEO of Duncan Brands, a guy by the name of Nigel Travis, gave some reasons that the company thought as to why donut sales had taken a dive in 2016. They're not opening as many stores. Planning in 2017, there are less number of new stores. And this is what he had to say. We are not selling as many donuts because of changes in gas prices, changes in food stamp regulations, and, of course, the overall dampening effect of the presidential election. I think we'll be pleased when this is passed. And I want to go, well, I knew the election was bad, but we've stopped eating donuts as a result. I mean, <laughs> come on now. The donut bakers are looking for work. I reckon I could help them out. I could put on a policeman's uniform and see if I could go to a few donut shops. Oh, oh, that wasn't kind at all, was it? <laughs> I could give some bakers some reasons to say, okay, we'll start baking donuts again. And uh, I, I'd be willing to sacrifice my body for them, you know, for the sake. And I, I, I'd sacrifice and eat a few because I'm a helper at heart. You know that, right? I'm a helper at heart. And um, I, I, I'm not certain if the CEO of Dunkin' Donuts is right to blame a downturn on their sales in regards to the election. But I do know this. There is certainly a downturn within the nation at present. The mood of the nation, you would think coming into a presidential election two or three days out that we'd be all excited. And I don't hear a lot of great, man, I can hardly wait. Um, as a matter of fact, I tried to think of some words that would describe the present election cycle, the, pr the present election cycle. Things like disconcerting and disheartening, disturbing, downturning, distressingly depressing, disappointing. It certainly has dampened the national mood. That's what the CEO of Dunkin' Donuts said. And so I want to say, well, if that's the case, I'm going to eat a donut to cheer myself up a little bit or something rather to help the economy of nothing else. And it's really where we are today as a nation is why I'm doing something today for the first time this weekend that I've never done in 31 years of pastoral preaching. I'm addressing the election straight up and straight forward. 
because the people of Christian faith in this nation need answers and directions for the questions and decisions that they're going to face as they step into the, into the uh, voting booths this coming Tuesday. At election time, I always usually lead the congregation through some prayer time, and that's certainly appropriate, and we'll do that yet again today. But I've never in the past made some statements as just straight up as I'm going to do today. As a matter of fact, what we're doing today is we're, um, we're going to spend the next three weekends looking at the election. We, we chose to do start the weekend before the election to give you some directions to what to think about as you go into the voting booth. And then we thought, okay, after the election, given where the nation is, we're going to need two weekends to recover. You know, so can we help you on the other side of that? And so we'll be looking at this for three weekends. And I would like to remind you that as part of this series, um, when we, we often do things like this, we have created a, a, um, three different ways in which you can get engaged in Scripture over the next three weeks. And so uh, every Monday throughout the coming weeks, uh, those who are part of our text and, and email service, We'll be sending out a prompt and prayer guide for, that will kind of have you thinking and praying for a week each time. And so if you get that already, you don't have to do anything. It'll come to you automatically. If you're new to the life of the church and you have a smartphone, all you have to do is text First Decatur to 24587. That'll get you going. Or you can sign up via email. And those will come once a week starting tomorrow, starting Monday, all right? And... Uh, Beyond that, if you're here today and you are someone who says, I'm, I'm not really into smartphones, I don't do email or anything like that, but you'd still like to participate, we'd be honored if you would, and we've provided um, hard copies, paper copies at the Welcome Centers, and so I invite you to check that out. We'd be glad both in the East and the West auditoriums we say, come on, let's, as a congregation, let's pray for our nation specifically over the next three weeks particularly. And um, one further note about this series, just so you know how it's come about, we titled the series, In Not Of. It it's, comes after a statement that Jesus made regarding his followers in John 17. Matthew, Matt already mentioned it as he was leading us in worship. In John chapter 17, it's, it's just a few hours before Jesus is to die. And in what's known as his high priestly prayer, he's praying about the things that are foremost on his mind. One of the pe- things that he prays about is the people who are going to follow me after I die. And he's praying to God and he says, they speaking to of his followers. They are not of the world any more than I am of the world. They are not of the world even as I am not of it. And apparently, uh, if you know anything about church history, uh, the tradition has been that the church has, um, when I say the church, not only our congregation, but the church, large C, has intentionally um, used this language that we are in the world but not of. We are in, not of. And that's that's the reason for this series title, In, Not Of. But I want you to be mindful that um, as we uh, kind of, the creative team met to say, how can we best graphically uh, demonstrate what Wayne and Brian are going to bring to the congregation? We met and we came up with a lot of different titles for this series, eventually landing on In Not Of. But I thought in order to help you understand of what we're, what we're trying to take on as I explained to that team where these messages were going... They come with a number of different titles, and so I think it would help you grab a hold of where we're going with this. For example, here was one that came up, God and Country. That seemed okay. And we did, we, we graphically represented these all as if they looked like um, political buttons, you know. And so, God and Country, that seemed a little, that's appropriate. It seemed, though, a little bit, um, a little bit not creative enough for our, who we are as a congregation. So, we passed on that one, and then we had another one, Kingdom Voting. Certainly, we'll be looking that in the days, at that in the days ahead. 
what do we expect to be both people of the kingdom of God and Americans at the same time? How does that work? And then we had another one, the change you need. Well, yeah, that was taking what's taking place in the nation, making it a little more personal. Didn't quite fit the, the need of what we were looking for. Another one was us and the U.S., you get that, right? How playing off the, the two letters, U and S, and how it would work out, that was kind of clever. We thought, okay, we're getting close. We had another one come up, and that was this one, vote for Jesus. That was close. That was, I mean, that'd be appropriate if he was running. He's not, just so you know, okay? He's not. So in light of all that, um, this was my favorite one of all. Jesus, Trump, and Hillary walk into a bar. Now, what we, that's, the, that's a decent beginning to three messages, right? So we considered that, but in the long run, we landed uh, on in not, it, in, not of. And regardless of the title of the series, what I want to address over the next three weekends is the fact that I'm aware there's a great deal of anger in the nation at present. And how Christians respond to the election has to also include how we're responding to the cultural mood, to the mood in the country. And if you think about it, Christians, people of faith, should not be surprised that the nation is angry. When you look at Scripture, throughout Scripture, whenever a nation moves away from the things of God, it, the, the nation falls apart. And so, scripturally, this, the, you'll see anger and chaos result when people and nations move away from God. And so, Scripture would tell us very clearly that national chaos always increases in direct proportion to the cultural move away from biblical mores and lifestyles. And as we have done that as a nation, then should we be surprised then that chaos is increasing and that anger is resulting as a result of the chaos? And, you know, people would say, oh, if we only put prayer back in the schools. And I want to go, you know, it's... Putting, having prayer in the schools is not the issue. It's not whether or not there are more swear words in movies than there used to be. People who, who worry and kind of argue about those matters, in my opinion, misunderstand uh, the whole idea of pluralism, and they certainly forget the larger picture because we are, as a nation, are not where we are because somebody in school is not praying the Lord's Prayer. That's not why we are where we are. No, when we as a nation decided to value personal choice over children, when we as a nation said that sinful lifestyles are going to be okay despite the biblical understandings and biblical guidelines of how to live our lives, then, based on those kinds of responses, our nation had to take a downturn. There was, you can't step away from the things of God and the way in which say, God says, live this way. You step away from that, you're going to fall into chaos. So in that setting, as we fall into more and more chaos, is it any wonder then that anger will rise? And in the midst of this national mentality, if you will, of anger, in the midst, have you noticed that this every special interest seems to get a chip on their shoulder? Including Christians. Might I say, I'd like to say to Christians, to the Christian culture at times, stop whining. Go do something for Jesus instead. Stop complaining. Fix it. But in the midst of all of that, the followers of Jesus cannot simply succumb to an escape approach and say, well, I'm out of here. I'm not voting. I'm, nobody's going to blame me. I won't participate in the nation's story or future. That's not a viable option for people of faith. Because it's interesting to me in John chapter 17, as Jesus is praying to God the Father, these are the most important things on his mind right before he dies. And he says in John 17, 
They are not. My followers are not of this world. And immediately he sent us into the world. He says, they are not of this world any more than I am of the world. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. You sent me into the world. And as you did that, I'm sending them to the world. We don't get to say, I'm out of here. No, if we follow Jesus Christ, if you're here today and you say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, then, you know, friends, we don't get to deny the struggle. We don't get to avoid the anger. We can't, we, we can't simply whine about the melee that's taking place around us. No, those of us here today who follow Jesus Christ in the midst of the anger around us, we don't run away. As a matter of fact, you know what Christians do? Christians always run towards the mess. It wasn't that God said, well, the world is really nice. I'll send Jesus. No, the world and people are in a mess. He says, I'm going to send a, I'm going to send a savior. People who follow Jesus, we don't say, well, it's messy, I'm not engaged. No. We run toward the mess and say, how can we help? How can we be the hands and feet and the voice, the touch of Jesus, the tangible touch of Jesus in very, very ugly and difficult situations? I'm up for the task, we say. I don't know how I'll do it sometimes, but I'm up for it. This was demonstrated to me, particularly during the congregational meeting last Sunday afternoon. The congregation had gathered together to discuss... um, a number of different issues, including the 2017 budget. What are we going to be doing money-wise with all the gracious gifts that you give us as leaders? What are, how, are we, how's, how are we proportioning that out as we anticipate the coming year? And uh, uh, the moderator of the, of the uh, meeting called for the vote, and they were all on ballots like this, just like this one. And then there were a group of people that tallied all the votes, and they tallied it on this sheet right here in groups of five. And, they, and so they got back up, and they announced that the the budget had passed unanimously. Everybody had voted yes. And while the vote was taking place, I was given a brief report of where things were in the church, while the tally was being made. I mean, I was given a brief report, and I said, in some ways, this vote of this budget is a whole lot easier than the vote that we're all going to have on, you know, on Tuesday. And uh, they came back with this report, and then they handed this piece of paper to me with this statement on it. 7,000 ballots were cast. I'm going, what? 7,000 ballots were cast, and Wayne Kent has been elected president as the, as the next president of the United States. And I want to say, no, no thanks. I wasn't born in the right country, first of all. That's a starter right there. That'd be pretty difficult. That's not my calling. I don't know that's anyone's calling in this room either or in, in the church today, but I'm aware of this. My mission, your mission, our mission, should we choose to accept it, is to help our nation discover how we are going to lead the world around us and how the next president will lead. You and I, the followers of Jesus Christ, if you bear his name today, we run toward the mess even as we know the chaos wasn't particularly created by us. We are called to be different. We are called to say, how can we help? How can I help? Sadly, too often, we succumb to the noise around us and we succumb to the anger and the name calling. And I, I am, I mean, I'm stunned by the name calling that's been taking place during this election. And the things I've heard on television, the candidates say particularly about each other, and the way, I mean, I've heard discussions about things that I thought, I'm, we, we're going to hear this out of the mouth of who could be the next president? It's stunning to me. It's disturbing to me. And as, 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 where did that come from? Why is it so harsh? Maybe you're familiar with H.L. Mencken in this regard. He, he was uh, one of the foremost shapers of American um, 
American literature during the first decades of the 20th century. He wrote a book, uh, a series of volumes, a, a multi-volume study of the American language. It's a description of how uh, English works within the United States as specifically. And so he would have lots of comments about this, that, and the other. And when he talked about, he talked about how things work in this land and about how democracy runs, he says, democracy is the art and science of running the circus from the monkey cage. Does that sound familiar to anyone? Does that feel like how things have been? over the last few months as we've watched? At times, at times I've wondered why we've become so adolescent, because it feels like we're adolescent a lot. I, I mean, I, like you, I, I, I listen to the, the people who are running for the presidential you know, role, particularly those who are pop, the two that are sit atop of the tickets of the two major parties, and they've given us choices that I think are extremely difficult because it feels adolescent at times. And this is where my comments are different than anything I've ever stated in 31 years of preaching. Now, you need to know, I love adolescence. If you're here today and you're moving in adolescence or you're between the ages of, say, 11 and 15, these are great years for you. They really are. They're hard. But I want to tell you, uh, when our kids were adolescents between ages, I'd do those years over and over and over again in a heartbeat. It was a blast. It was challenging. But, man, how much fun it was it. It was a lot of fun. And there were hard moments. And I, so you need to hear, if that's your age here today, I'm not slamming you. It is great to be an adolescent. It's great to be in that age bracket. And you know what? We can hardly wait to see the things that God's going to do in your life, both now and in the years ahead. That's all really good. But I need to say this. We don't need adolescents in the White House running the right, you know, in the Oval Office. Yet when push came to shove... I'd say that our choice this election cycle is between two individuals that, well, putting it plainly, one is crude and the other is corrupt. How else can you say it? It feels adolescent, but nonetheless. And particularly since both Trump and Clinton claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, then I struggle with the glaring, glaring ways that they don't represent him well. Because if they do follow him, it's quite apparent that for Trump, politics, money, and his ego have been more important than displaying Christian character or language or certainly his care of women in particular situations. And yet for Clinton, the party platform, personal power, and it would appear greed, have been more, far more important than God's kingdom of life. It's beyond me. It's really beyond me how she can claim to say she's the champion for women and children. Women and children. Okay, when she also at the same time champions abortion. It doesn't make sense to me. And we've lost, we've murdered 50 million children since Roe versus Wade. And my assumption is half of them are little girls, let alone the fact that they're children. They're little girls as well. And so it doesn't make sense to me that she says that. I would like to remind both of them, since they both bear the title Christian, Bearing the name of Jesus has implications and it has responsibilities. Christ followers can't say, well, whatever the, whichever way the world goes, that's the way that I'm going. Whatever, whatever the culture says is the norm, that's the way I'm going. No, we push back from the norm. We push back from the behaviors and the language of this world. The Apostle Paul put it this way, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Don't follow the world. Be transformed. Be different. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's how we're to live. We live differently than others. 
And when leaders bear the name of Jesus upon their hearts and minds, we need them to lead the nation away from impure lifestyles, from body language. They must help us shun hypocritical displays about past misjudgments at best, namely, if I may, Trump. I have to say, Mr. Trump, what is with that video? How do you explain that? Locker room talk doesn't satisfy me in that regard. How is it, if you're, an, if you're bearing the name of Jesus, that you would use that language, that you would use that, that kind of, have that kind of ego, and that you'd be wanting to do that to another man's wife? How do you explain that? That's the best. The worst is, if you will, intentional outright lies, malicious greed cloaked in false claims of charity and international humanitarian care. Mrs. Clinton, how can you, if you will, how can you say, a number of years ago we left the White House and we were broke as a family, but now it's proven over and over again your family is worth hundreds of millions of dollars personally, and yet you've never worked for anyone really outside of civil service. Worked for the public, you say, and yet you've got, how is that possible? It doesn't add up. You know, friends, our nation, the United States of America, we stand as a beacon of righteousness. We promote the dignity of all humans, regardless of whether or not those humans, those individuals, actually claim the name of Jesus Christ. As American Christians, and even more, we, 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 more so than just Americans, as American Christians, we have to see the value of all people because all people we believe are made in the image of God. They bear God's image. Their human life is absolutely valuable. And those of us who call on the name of Jesus... Those of us who bear his name, we're, we're, we're clear about this, aren't we? We're clear that even as we look at those two individuals straight up, Clinton and Trump, even, we, even as we look at their shortcomings, we have to say, well, okay, we've got some grace. We have some grace, absolutely, because we have to look at our own inner lives as well. We can't point fingers without being willing to examine our own lives. We can call candidates to better behavior because of their willingness to name Jesus as their leader and forgiver. And in doing so, we have to also acknowledge our own need, the reality of our own sin, our own utter need for forgiveness and redemption that is available through Jesus Christ, God's only Son. He came to us as the supreme sacrifice, the gift from God. We need forgiveness. They need forgiveness. I know there's grace. I can get there. I can get there with grace. But we cannot water down what Scripture has to say about how we live. My friend Kent Paris said this. The story of Jesus in us cannot be, excuse me, it cannot be an abridged or milked down version. You can't just whitewash over it and say, well, I don't like that portion of what Scripture says. Christians step into a lifetime journey of God at work within us by the power of the Holy Spirit, asking God to transform our lives and conform us to the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. And I've got to say this, since both leading candidates claim Christian faith, we'll take it face value, they claim Christian faith, if that's the case, then they must demonstrate that in their lives, in their character, in their language, in their behavior, and in their plans for our nation of the future. They must display a willingness to move beyond the the cultural fray and say, okay, that may be the way that some people think and it may even be the way in which they say most of Americans think, if you will, but that is not the way this nation is going to go. They cannot abide by poor choices of others. They must exhibit a lifestyle and leadership approach that is admirable and characteristic of Jesus. We can call them to mirror and be transformed to the image of Jesus Christ like we can call ourselves. Because because to accept the social norm as biblical, 
that offers a cheap faith and a false hope. The final hope of the world is only found in Jesus Christ. The final hope of our nation is only found in Jesus Christ. Not in faddish thoughts promoted by this or that special interest group. We cannot, Christians cannot be fooled. As J.I. Packer, a great theologian of our time said, our business is to present the Christian faith clothed in modern terms, not propagate modern thought clothed in Christian terms. We can get that confused very easily. I fear that's what the presidential candidates have done. And yet he says to do that, to get that confused, is fatal. So some of you are going, okay, Wayne, all of that. I have to go and vote on Tuesday. How should I vote? You're asking that, right? Because all I've done right now has been descriptive. I've described where we are. What's the prescription? What's the answer to where we are? Well, let me see if I can give it to you this way. Since both claim to follow Jesus Christ, then answer this question. Which one might lead in ways that best honor Jesus? Now, if they didn't claim to follow Jesus Christ, it'd be a different, that question is null and void. You can't use that question going into the, into the voting booth. And I'm not one of those people that says, man, you always have to vote for the Christian. If there's a Christian and a non-Christian, you always vote for the Christian. I don't think that's wise either. But since they both claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, then we say, which candidate will most aptly present Christian faith in a way that exhibits God's grace in their lives and in the lives of our nation for all people? And so to that end, I'd say, answer that question and fill out the ballot. We'll lead that way. In the meanwhile, help the economy eat a few donuts. (laughs) So, what are we going to say? I think in the meanwhile, we pray. We ask God to lead our nation. We ask God to lead our nation through what happens in the voting booth this Tuesday. Because I want to remind you what Scripture says. Scripture indicates that God is engaged in the process of leadership from top to bottom, not just at the top of the, top of the ticket, but all the way down. And, and, and God puts uh, people in leadership positions to lift up a nation, and when a nation needs to be humbled, he'll put other people there. It may be difficult for who God puts in, but God is always, God's finger is on the pulse of human history and upon the course of the cosmos. Here's what Daniel said about this, that God puts people in power. Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. And what does he do? He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. That's what we need as we go in. As God is going to raise up the leader that God calls us to have, and it may be to exalt the nation, it may be to humble the nation, I don't know, but we are the ones who have to make that choice as we vote. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells in him. So what am I doing this week? I'm praying that God, who has obviously led our nation in the past, we've leaned into that history, we've leaned into that legacy. I pray that he'll lead us through these days and through these times of decision. He's been our help in the past. He'll be our help in the future, right? You've learned that as an individual. We've learned that as a nation. We have to land there. And so to that end, I'd invite you this week, in addition to what you're going to get by a text message or at the welcome desk and so forth, take a look at Psalm 90. Because it's, it's a psalm that uh, describes about how God helps, how God helps nations. We're going to pray just a portion of it today. But in doing so, I'd invite you to read the rest of it. Psalm 90, you might, you might want to write that down. But for now, just, I've picked out just a few verses today that are going to be on the screen. So I'd like you to pray corporate with, corporately with me 
about how God is going to lead us. Let's read this together. Lord, you've been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. That's our prayer, isn't it? You've been our help in ages past. In in, in days gone by, we saw your help. Now we need your help again, God. That's what I'm praying. That our hands, as we mark or as we pull levers or if you push buttons, whatever the case may be, as the work of our hands comes into play come Tuesday, that God would establish it. God, our help in ages past, help us in the days to come. That hymn is a couple hundred years old, written in the uh, middle 1700s. Throughout the English-speaking world, it's often been used at um, a point of national crisis in English-speaking countries. I don't know that we can say we're at a point of crisis, but we surely are at a point of transition. And I think it's appropriate that we've heard it today, because it comes actually from Psalm 90 when Isaac Watts wrote it. He was reading Psalm 90, the psalm I invite you to read this week, and say, God, you've done really cool things in the past. Help us in the future. I'd like to pray about that with you right now. 
Normally at this time in the service, we'd say, well, we'd invite you to stand and we'd have leaders in front. We'd like to pray about your needs, but I'd like to do it a little bit differently today. As the pastor, I'd like to kind of pray a prayer of blessing over you, over your life situations, and then invite you to agree with me in prayer about our nation. Let's pray together. God, every four years, our nation um, moves through moments when we wonder how we're going to do the future. It seems to have been more troublesome this time around. We are a democratic nation. We know that the power of responsibility and authority will move from one person and one set of leaders to another, and we're not expecting some sort of military intervention, nothing like that, God. But nonetheless, we do have worries. We do have places where we go, well, how's this going to play out? Help us to be at peace in the middle of this. And Lord, I pray for our this country, God, has the, we have the um, resources to change the world, not as a policeman, but God, as a way in which to shine the light of righteousness and justice, and in the long run, Christian faith to a world in desperate need. I understand, God, that we're a pluralistic nation. I get all that. But God, for this one, I pray that Christians would be able to lead the way in the voting booth with votes that represent your plan for our nation. And God, even as we look for that, we have to acknowledge there are people in the room here today who are in desperate need to varying degrees. There are family situations. There are concerns about kids and concerns about parents and cousins. And I mean, the list goes on and on. There are some marriages, God, that need some help, some careers that are struggling finances, people of poor health right now, God, I pray that you, as you've been our help in ages past in these matters, may you continue to wash over us your grace, your healing, caring, comforting, renewing grace in our lives and in our nation. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.